Good morning. We have one more minute to say good morning, then it's afternoon. So good morning to all of you. I'm so happy to be back with you. Uh, we're going to this uh, series, as you heard Wes mention, uh, you know, comeback season, uh, how to get your setbacks to turn into comebacks. You know, um, I was thinking as I was watching that, um, that video that uh, we all love a good comeback, no? Good comeback story, especially when uh, it's your team and it's coming from behind and they're doing the effort, persevering and stuff. But, you know, I was thinking about when, when I was writing this this week, uh, it's not so much fun for the one that's going through it, you know? Especially when the setback is at its worst point, you know, it's not so much fun. And, and also, especially when the setback is in the area that we're going to talk about today. Because today we're going to talk about the, that time when, when your dream marriage becomes a nightmare. You know, when two people that started by loving deeply each other now are hurting each other. Things are said and done that leave wounds in the hearts of both. It's, it's really heartbreaking to me uh, every time that uh, I see this relationship that got designed you know, to be a source of, of joy, of, of comfort, of, of safety, you know, to become the source of pain and fear and anger. It, it's really, really heartbreaking uh, for Karina, my wife, and I. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I don't want to do today. Um, I don't want to make you feel guilty. Everything that has happened in your marriage, if you're having trouble or you know, if your marriage is good but have, have had rough patches, it's in the past. And you can't change the past, okay? And also, I want you to know that I didn't come here today to point any fingers at anyone. And, and I want to explain to you what that means because there's something very interesting that happens uh, during counseling uh, couples. See, uh, Karina and I have discovered that when it comes to fighting, there's two types of people, two types. There is the turtles and the skunks, okay? So the turtles... Uh, are the people that when there's a problem, they hide in their shell. They fight from within the shell. That doesn't mean they don't attack. They're just passive about it. I didn't say anything. I said I would go and I went. You know, they're, they're, they're innocent, okay? Um, so the tactic is fight from the shell. But then we have the skunks. The skunks are those that when there's a problem, they explode. They stink the room. Everyone knows there's a problem. You know, that everyone can tell that something is going on. Now, God has a very interesting sense of humor because he usually marries skunks to turtles, okay? And then the situation, what happens there is that it's easier to see the participation of the skunk. You see, skunks usually don't want to go to counseling because they think that whoever is going to counsel is just going to point the finger at them and say, this is all your fault. It's, look at what you're doing because it's very obvious. It's very active. Yeah, but skunks in the room probably already close their heart. They don't want to hear anything because they think they're going to be attacked because they're the ones that explode. But let me tell you what we have discovered after 19 years of counseling couples. When a marriage is in trouble, it's both your fault. Okay, and that's probably the first thing that you need to understand and accept. I have a responsibility in this. Part of this problem is my fault. I contribute to this problem. See, when we sit down to counsel people, we usually let them tell their side of the story. Uh, on that first conversation, we can see how big a setback this is and how hard the comeback is, might become. Um, but after they both finish all the things that they have to say, 
I always ask them one question. I ask them, okay, before we start, what do you want it to happen? What is the result that you want out of this work that we're going to do together? Because if what you want is for me to listen to both of you and tell your mate how your mate is wrong and you're vindicated because you've been right all along and now I'm telling him or telling her, I can't help you. Chances are you're just going to hurt yourself even more because bitterness is a venom. Okay? And it's a strange venom because you drink it and you hope that the other guy dies. So it's a very strange situation. Okay? But if your interest is in restoring your marriage, you know, in, in, in trying to return your relationship to that moment when things were going great. See, that's the definition of a comeback. If you look up for comeback, so what is a comeback? It says returning to a point where things were going great. And if that is what you want, then I am in a position to help you by giving you a starting point. Listen, um, I have seen marriages where they have hurt each other horribly. They had the worst problems, okay? Uh, but then they worked on it with what we're going to talk about today, and they restored their relationship to a beautiful point, sometimes even better than before, stronger than before they went through the problems. But I also have seen marriages with big and small problems, sometimes even less problems than the other couples that are not willing to do these things, and they up in very nasty divorce. And it always comes down to three things. Now, I want to be very honest from, from the get-go because these things that I am going to mention today usually need to be accompanied by external help. You are going to need to go to someone counselor, a small group, some place where you're going to be accountable to someone because usually there are patterns of behavior that are so set in you that they need to be confronted and it cannot be by your mate. But if you're willing to be accountable to someone else and you're willing to work with all your heart to try to do these three things, you have a very good shot at a comeback. Okay? So three things, it says on your notes, three things we need to do in order to have a marriage comeback. This is the reverse order, okay? Now, each one needs the next one to be able to happen. So the last one is the most important because it allows all of them to happen, okay? Number one, you need to focus on your behavior and not on your mates. From this point on, you have to focus on the things that you do, the things that you say, the behavior that you have with your, your mate and not focus on her. See, one of the sources of problems when the marriage is in a bad situation is that both sides believe that they're right and that the other one is wrong. You know, and, and they always say things to me like, look, I know I'm not perfect. I have my things, but you know, if he, if she didn't do this, you know, so um, this is, it's, it's such a classic thing. You don't know how many times I have preached sermon series and the moment that I finish every sermon, I go down and someone will come and say like, oh, I wish my wife had heard this, you know, or how come my husband skipped today? I wish he had been here. Translation, it's all their fault. And if they only change, I would be happy. Our marriage will be fine, which makes it impossible for you to try to help solve the problems. You understand why? Because you know, you know what the number rule it, the number one rule in marriages and, and in relationships in general, see, all relationships are made of two people, but you can only control one. 
you only have control over one of them. And, and the funny thing is, we all know that, right? You, you did know that before I said it, correct? But do you live that way? We do actually the opposite. We spend our time thinking of what the other one does or doesn't do. But you see, if I have a problem with my wife, Karina, all the time that I spend focusing on her behavior and trying to point it out to her is acting on the one area that I have no control over. So I'm wasting my time. See, Galatians 6, verse 6 says, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. When you are in front of God, he's going to make you responsible for your behavior, not for your mates. And when you're there, the one thing you're not going to be able to do is say, it's just that she did this. It's just that he behaved like that. You know, he's, he's going to say to you, I'll get to her in time. When it's her turn or his turn, I'll talk to them. Why did you behave this way? Do you realize that's one of the oldest problems? The first confrontation in the history of mankind. God comes to Adam and says, what happened with the fruit? And listen to what he says. That woman that you gave me, right? So it's not only the woman's fault, it's God's fault at the end. And I'm not responsible, okay? And here is why, you know, you're really going to need to seek for external help. Because you have to concentrate on your behavior. But there is no way that you can change a behavior that you don't know that you have. See, all marriages that are in trouble have communication problems. Chances are your mate has been trying to tell you the behaviors that you need to change, but you haven't listened. You, don't, you, you can't hear it. I'll give you an example. We have sometimes counseling and the wife will say something like this. It's just that when he gets angry like that, I feel sad and disconnected. And the immediate response of the husband is like, I wasn't angry. You can't feel like that because I was not angry. See, first of all, he's missing the important fact that perception is reality. What she thinks it is, that's what it is. If she thinks you're angry, it's irrelevant whether you're angry or not. In her mind, you're angry. And second, she's trying to help you by letting you know how she feels so you know what needs to be changed, how you need to proceed. See, she needs, I need to feel loved you know, and connected. And she's trying to help you. How? She just told you by changing that behavior that you don't call anger, but she does. Now, if you change that behavior, I'm going to feel loved and connected. And look, this is just an example. I'm not trying to blame the husbands for fights. This happens with women as well. Sometimes the husband will say, she disrespects me all the time when she speaks like this and this. And she says, I wasn't trying to disrespect you. Irrelevant. He's telling you that's how he feels when you speak that way. See, every time that you have a conversation with your mate where your mate says, when you act like this or when you say like this, this is how I feel. You should be taking notes. They're helping you. They're telling you. See, imagine how good it would be if you could identify what behavior of yours triggers the behavior in your mate that you don't like. If you can identify that by changing your behavior, you're affecting a change in your mate's behavior. You can change hers, but you can change yours. So if you can identify it, then you can probably go and 
apologize for it and start working on your marriage. But you know what's our problem? Ego. She needs to change. He should take the first step. It's kind of a silly game and it rarely ends well. If you know that the way you acted was wrong, you know that it was hurtful, something that you said, and you can tell in the face of your mate when something you do or say is hurtful, what you should do is just apologize for what you did, for your part. But see, the problem is ego. You know what ego does in a relationship? It it pushes you to see your relationship as a competition because you think, I have to win this argument. If you want to win something, that means you're competing. So if you apologize for something you did, you're conceding and you lose. But you can't see your marriage as a competition. Just imagine how silly it would be that you came to counseling and my first question was, so in your marriage, who's winning? Who's winning? If one of you is winning, you're both losing. Uh, Emerson Egrich, he wrote a book called Love and Respect. Highly recommend it. Read that book with your mate. He was asked once, um, in a relationship, who should take the first step? Who should apologize first? And his answer was, the more mature one should do it. It makes sense. It's usually what happens. You know, it's a sign of maturity to recognize that the enemy is not flesh. But if you want to know what the Bible says about who should take the first step, the answer is men. There's no way around it. In Ephesians 5.25, Paul wrote, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What Paul is saying is, Jesus loved the church so much that he came to reconcile the church with him, even though we caused the breakup. We did. And he took the initiative. So that means that, brothers, we are all called to reconcile with our wives, regardless of the amount of blame that you think she owns. Even if she acted 99% weird and you just 1% responded wrong, you have to go and say, Honey, I'm, I'm sorry for how I respond. And after you say that, shut up. Okay? Because the moment you add anything to that, you know, if you say, but it's just that when you say, what you're saying is, it's really, really your fault, but sorry. You know, that's not an apology, okay? But anyway, if you want a real comeback, you need to start focusing on you on what you do, on how you make your mate feel, okay? Now, the only way that that's possible is if number two happens. Number two says, you need to forgive your mate. You, yeah, and, 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 and listen, I'm talking to you. Clearly, you both have to forgive each other. But I'm talking to you because you have control of you, so you have to forgive your mate. Everything that happened, from the beginning of your relationship up until right now, you need to forget, for, not forget, forgive. You have to forgive your mate. Otherwise, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Every time something else comes up, you're going to bring everything back. You're going to bring all the fights of the past to the present. You're not going to get hysterical. You're going to get historical. You're going to remember everything that happened, okay? Um, 
I'm not saying that everything that happened in the past has to be forgotten. That's why I misspoke earlier. You know, it's not that you have to forget everything that happened or that you don't need to talk about it, you know, have a conversation about it and analyze what happened. Many things in our marriages need to be talked out. See, we have to realize that we're very different people, not just because we're men and women, which we know are very different and we approach the world in a very different way, but because we grew up in different places. Just the fact that you grew up in your house and you're made in his or her house makes you different. Maybe they came from a different state or a different country. So we see reality completely different. We, we, we see things through different eyes, you know, because of our upbringing, because of the culture where we grew up. So you don't know if something that in your house was completely normal and natural and people probably even laughed about it and thought it was a joke, in your, in your mate's house was an insult, an attack, an irritation. You have no idea. So those things need to be talked out and that's how we have better marriages. But we need to forgive each other for the mistakes that we made in the past. You need to have that conversation when you acknowledge your part, honestly ask for forgiveness and begin working on your marriage. Okay? But you need to learn to forgive. Now, depending on what has happened in the past, this may be very hard. And this is why I start always counseling sessions asking, what do you want it to happen? Yeah, I need to ask that question because I know there are things that happen in, in marriage that are very hard to live with, are very hard to, to, to just let go. Actually, some of them are biblical reasons for divorce. But let me tell you, Karina and I have counseled couples that have gone through these terrible things and had their comeback. If both of you really want to save your marriage, marriage I, I am convinced that you can't. But if you're not willing to forgive, that poison of the anger that you have inside is going to consume you and it's going to affect your marriage over and over and over. See, the Bible tells us that as believers, we have to forgive, not because the other person deserves it, not because the other person asked for it, but because God forgave us so much that he asked that we do the same in return to the people around us. Ephesians 4, verse 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. See, that's a command. And like every other command that comes in the Bible, it's there because it's the best thing for you. See, when you forgive another person, what you're doing is you're freeing your heart from the pain that whatever action caused. This is why forgiveness should be something that you do regardless of what the other person does or doesn't do. Even if they don't ask for it, you have to forgive. So it's for your own good. And listen, even if you decided that you don't really want to come back, you still have to forgive. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean reconciliation. You can forgive someone and decide not to have a relationship. But if you want to have a comeback, you have to forgive. Another thing that um, we have learned, especially when the when the wounds are very deep, is that forgiveness doesn't happen in one prayer. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not something that, that you just do one time and it's gone. Forgiveness is a process of bringing your pain to God, of going to the Lord and say, Father, I want to forgive him. I want to forgive her. Please help me. And every time the thought comes back, 
of anger, immediately go back to him, Father, I thought I had forgiven, but it's haunting me and I don't want it to. Every time that it comes to you, you bring it to him. The time is going to come when your heart is going to heal because you're allowing God in the, in the picture, in, in the process. And you know that you have forgiven your mate when you can truly pray for the blessing of your mate. And you, and you do it and you feel love in your heart. Now, that is impossible unless the third thing is true. God must be the center of your life. See, this comes down to the very first and most important commandment in the Bible. Exodus 20, verses 2 and 3. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. See, Jesus needs to rule in your heart and be the source of your fulfillment. And listen to me. Nothing that any one of us can teach you, no seminar, no book, no conference that you attend is going to make any difference in your marriage unless your relationship with God is real, is is vibrant, is fulfilling, and it's the most important relationship in your life. I know, because people have told me this, that when I say things like that, many people think like, well, he's the pastor. Of course, he has to say that. He needs to bring God into the picture somehow, at some point, right? Absolutely wrong. See, uh, just a few minutes ago, I said that uh, our main problem in marriage is ego. Um, See, the most important person in your life tends to be you. You know how we live our life? We live our lives thinking that our life is like a movie and I'm the leading actor. And everyone else are supporting actors or extras, right? I'm at the center of the universe. Everybody is there, you know, for me. I'm the most important thing. And then you bring that thinking into your marriage. And when you bring that thinking into your marriage, your mate is a means to your happiness. You got married, so your mate is going to make you happy. So you create certain expectations of what your mate should be and do to make you happy. This is about you. And if that doesn't happen, then there's going to be problems. But if you think about it, see, if that's true in your mind, then you don't act nice towards your mate because you love your mate. You do it because you love yourself. And you act that way so that your mate will do something in return. In other words, your relationship becomes transactional. You probably have heard that relationships are like uh, emotional bank accounts. See, that theory says that we all have an emotional tank in us. And and we try to keep our uh, emotional balance in relationships based on the deposits that we give and receive from each other. Okay, so when I make a deposit in your tank, it has to come out. I have to withdraw from my tank from deposits that you previously didn't mind. So, for example, with my wife, Karina, you know, If I want to love her, sacrifice for her, be patient with her, give her of my time, I have to withdraw from the deposits that she has done in the past to me in regards to those things. Just think about how how do we measure when a relationship is going well? When I think that what I'm giving, what I'm investing, it's fair, you know, with the amount that I'm obtaining in return. We say, okay, a relationship is fair. You know, there's reciprocity, so things are good. When do we think that the relationship is going wrong? When we feel that we're giving a lot, but not receiving enough in return, you know? It's like we hear things like this all the time. The wife will say like, 
He's only nice to me when he wants something, you know? You know? Or the husband would say, all she wants to talk about is her problems. Or she just wants to be nice when she wants to go shopping. So what we feel is our relationship is out of balance. And when we feel that, one of two things will happen. Either I'm going to be telling you all the time, you know, nagging you every day about what you should be doing. Or I'm just going to let it bake in the oven of my heart until one day I will explode. But either one of those, it's just a matter of time until I'm going to feel justified to stop depositing. I'm going to stop doing. Because you're not doing enough. And look, there there are some um, classic examples of this that happened in our marriage that could have been easily avoided if I have paid more attention to the things that I did or didn't do or more attention to the contributions that my wife did and not just the ones I did. I'll give you an example. This happened uh, many years ago. Um, our youngest kid, Kat, was one year old. She's now 25, so long time ago. Um, so Alex was four, Marco was six, Angie must have been 10 or 11. And I worked full-time, professionally, you know, so Karina was there all day with the kids. And one day she says to me, I, uh, tomorrow the girls, you know, are my group of friends, we're going to go out, so can you come early Help me put, you know, feed the kids, put them to bed. And so on. Ta-da, super husband to the rescue. Yes, I can, you know. So I arrived early and she left. And it was a nightmare, you know. I mean, uh, the, the baby would not go to sleep, you know. The, the boys were fighting and Angie wanted to be fed. And it took me hours to finally put them to sleep. I was stressed out. I was tired. I was exhausted. I was waiting for Karina. And she finally comes home. And the first question out of her mouth is, how are the children? It's like, the children? The children are fine. They're asleep. How about how am I doing? Now, that was my first thought. (laughs) Why? Because, see, in my mind, I have done a favor to her. And she came asking for the children, so I felt like I was the babysitter, and I didn't get any recognition. So after, in no uncertain terms, she made me see the error of my ways, you know, (laughs) I realized, see, you know what the problem is? The problem is that when they're your children, it's not called babysitting. It's called parenting. I wasn't doing any favors to her. That was part of my responsibility to take care of them. But the main problem is what I was thinking about the whole time that I was there doing this. I was thinking of everything that I was doing. But you know what I was not thinking about? Aside from the fact that she gave birth to the four of them in the middle of screaming pain, the amount of time and sacrifice that she put out for our kids every day, all the time. See, our automatic position in in marriage is usually to quantify how much I do, how much I give. And I took took it out of my tank, so you better come back fast and deposit back because you owe me. Or or I'm going to be very upset because this is about me. This is about my happiness. But you see, if you think about it, The real problem is that, in a way, you're passing the role of God to your mate. Because you're expecting your mate to make you happy and to make you feel fulfilled, which is impossible because the only one that can do that is God. And here is where your relationship with God will become crucial. See, uh, I bet that when you read Ephesians 5, if this is your frame of mind, when you read, you know, either Ephesians 5.22 in your wife or Ephesians 5.25 in your husband, your first thought was, that's not fair. 
That's so unfair. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Do you know my husband? Have you met him? Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. If Paul had known my wife, there would be a footnote that would say, except the wife of this guy. Right? Because that sounds completely unbalanced, no? I mean, do, even if the other one does not, love forgives everything. See, when God is the center of your life, and that's to say a lot, eh? that means that you know him through the Bible. You have read about him. You have memorized verses. You have uh, meditated on them and allowed him to work on your heart. When, when God is the center of your life, you know what else he is? The source of everything. The Bible says that when God is the center of your life, he will fill you with love, real love, agape, love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. So the resources that I need to deposit in Karina's tank, they don't come from Karina, they come from God. I have access to his unlimited resources. And, and when I love Karina, even if she doesn't love me back, she doesn't have a relational deficit because I'm not loving her as a husband. I'm loving her as a faithful servant of God relating to her with the resources that he gives me to give her. And you know what that allows me to do? It allows me to love my wife exactly the way she is right now. Virtues and defects. And it allows her to do the same thing toward me. Because she's loving me because God is the most important thing in her life. So this is why God's command is to love everyone around you. You realize that if we in the church all obey this command, the community will work as God planned it because we would all be filling up the tank of everyone else. And if you obey that command in your marriage, marriage would work the way God designed it. He will fill you up with love to give. See, otherwise, if, if it is not from God that you get this, this, this love to give, how can he ask us to love our enemy? Can you imagine a more unbalanced relationship? You give me hate, but I'll give you love. Where does that love come from? How can I forgive a person that keeps sinning against me? And Jesus said 70 times seven, keep forgiving. How? Because before it is an act of forgiveness from me to you, it's an act of obedience from me to God. That's why it's possible. Now, does this solve all relational problems in marriage? No. Unfortunately not, because we live in a fallen world. We are imperfect people. But this means that you don't have to run away from your marriage just because there are problems. And look, there are extreme situations in marriage where we even advise people to get out. If your life's in danger, and if there's violence, if you live with an unrepentant, unfaithful mate, you know, those are biblical reasons to leave. But other than those extremes, you don't have to run away from your marriage just because there are problems. What God is trying to, to do here is give you a more solid base to be able to love. 
It doesn't mean that you don't feel the need to be loved, but it means that you will direct that need to the only one that can truly fulfill it, which is God. See, Jesus models this in his life all the time. You read the Gospels. Every time I see these things, to me, it's, it's, it's shocking. It's amazing. I mean, it's persuasive the way that he lived his life. Just think of the fact that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples you know, the night before all of them were going to abandon him. One was going to deny him three times and one of them was going to betray him into death. But Jesus as a faithful servant is cleaning the mud of their feet and, and not begrudgingly, you know, not, I have to do this. And that's the key to this. With a pure heart, with, with, with genuine love for his disciples. And that to me, it's awesome. It's incredible. Where did he get that love from? Surely it wasn't from the amount of deposits that the disciples did that his tank was overflowing. His tank was actually almost empty and the next day it was going to be completely bankrupt. And yet he had enough love to wash the feet of Judas, who he knew was about to betray him into that. Where did that love come from? It comes from the Father. It comes from God. Wouldn't you like to have that? To have this you know, relational security in your marriage that even if you're made in a moment of stress, of, of tiredness, wounds your heart, that will not derail you completely. And you may think, well, yeah, but that was Jesus. I mean, he was God, no? Do you realize that Jesus never took credit for any of that? Look at what he says in John chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. See, is God filling Jesus' tank all the time and it allows Jesus to show us a perfect image of what it means to love other people. That's what we have to do. See, when God is truly the center of your life, when you have gone in so deep into your relationship with him that he becomes your source of love, and you realize that because of that love, Jesus died for you. You know, I think that we say that so often that people doesn't hear it anymore. Jesus died a horrible death so that you may have life, that you could be here today and that you could have another day to love your mate. When you realize that and you get filled with that love, you're going to be able to love your mate with the agape love that you receive from him. And you'll be able to forgive your mate knowing that you're as weak as capable of wounding your mate again also in a moment of stress. So you forgive. And then you can begin to focus on your behavior. See, your responsibility in your marriage is to make your mate happy. Not to expect for your mate to make you happy. When we live like that and we concentrate on what we do, then marriage starts working. Now, it takes a, a lot of work. You know, if, if you want to come back, you have to remember one thing. See, marriage is kind of like if you buy a new house and the backyard is a mess full of rocks and weeds and stuff. 
know, you're going to have to work hard at bringing it back up, right? I mean, you're going to clean, take all the rocks and maybe uh, bring some good soil and fertilize it and water it and put grass and put beautiful plants and flowers and stuff. And once it's in a beautiful place, what do you do? Sit down and enjoy it for the next five years without moving a finger? You have to work at it every single day. You know, people say that the grass looks greener on the other side of the fence. You know where it's greener? When they water it. You know, the side that waters the grass every day, it's usually greener. But think of this. You need to begin today, and as I said, this is a starting point, but think of this. What is the other choice? You think divorce is a solution? Do you really think that's a better solution? You know how I see divorce? I imagine a couple going in, in, in the car of their marriage, in the car of life driving, and they have their kids sitting in the back. And, and all of a sudden, they start having arguments about which direction should they go. And they get worse and worse, and they can make up their minds. They can communicate. They stop talking to each other. So at some point, one of them says, you know what? Let's just crash the car. Let's just crash it, you know, that this is not working. And, and they look back at the kids and say, kids, we love you very much. Mommy and Papi will never stop loving you. We're going to be there for you, but we're going to crash this car. And we're going to get hurt. All of us are going to get hurt, okay? It's going to be painful. You might need some therapy for the next years to come. God knows if you're going to be able to drive a car with your own wife one day, but we are going to crash the car. We have no choice but to crash it. Do you think that's the solution? See, um, my wife's parents divorced when she was very young. It was a bad situation. And, and his mom at some point decided, I'm out. And she left. And kids lived sometimes with the mother, sometimes with the father. It was really one of those bad situations. Many, many years later, having a conversation with my mother in love, she told me, if I had known the damage I was going to do to my kids, I would have stayed. I had no idea. It's not a solution. It's actually worst. Unless you are in an extreme situation, you can work it if you put your pride aside and decide to start putting God in the center of your heart. Forgive your mate, you know, and then focus on loving your mate. Karina and I are going to celebrate this May our 50th wedding anniversary. We have been only been married 33, but we heard it's such a fun celebration. We're just going to move it ahead, okay? <laughs> We've been, we're going to be married 33 years this May. And listen, our, our marriage, <laughs> thank you. Um, our marriage uh, has not been easy all the time. Actually, there were some patches where it was really rough. Uh, some of, in one of them, specifically one year that was really hard, for many circumstances, aside from our marriage, and it was really strained, is what made us come closer to God. And actually, the next year is when we started the church. And once we put God in the center of our hearts and started working and working, I can tell you, the results, the rewards of having a good marriage are indescribable. Your marriage becomes a bubble where you're loved 
known and loved and understood and protects you from the outside, for people that don't love you that way. That's what God designed, and it's worth fighting for it. Listen to me. If you are in a very bad situation, seek for help. It is heartbreaking the amount of times that when people come to us for help, it's because they're already stabbing each other in the back. It's like if you are starting to have even light problems, seek for help. Go to the council center. Look for someone. Look for a small group. Talk to someone. Don't crash the car. The rewards are incredible. And it's going to push you to become a much better follower of Christ. Let's pray. Father, um, I just want to um, thank you for what you teach us in your word. Um, I want to pray for the people that are sitting in this room or listening to these words from a distance that are not married yet. And maybe in their world, there are not good examples of a good marriage and they are scared to be married. Help them understand, Father, that marriage is not easy. It takes a lot of work, but it's amazing because you designed it. And I want to pray, Father, for the marriages that are listening to these words, whether they are together or one of them is listening. Will you, Father, touch their hearts today? Open their hearts. Let them see themselves instead of their mate. Let them realize how much was forgiven to each one of us and start working on forgiving our mates and throw themselves into the Bible. Get to know you deeply. Make you the center of their lives. Perform the miracle of transformation that only happens when we walk by your hand and help them get a comeback. I pray these things, Father, in the beautiful name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.